Welcome to the Hughes of Leadership podcast, where we dive deep into the many prominent aspects of leadership. How does leadership show up in each of us? And how do we seek to have a positive influence on the lives of others? Just like Hughes vary, so does how we show up as leaders and how we may flex different views depending on the moment, the task at hand, or the individual or team we're engaging. What Hughes are you using today? And which will you seek to further develop? I'm your host, DJ Menifee, a Chief Enrollment Officer and a Leadership Practitioner in Higher Education, and I look forward to diving into the hues of leadership with our guest. In Season 2, we're focused on extraordinary, impactful leadership moments, specifically those that played a critical role in shaping the leader our guest has become or continues to become. Season 2 is inspired by the book, The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact. I highly recommend it if you've not had a chance to check it out. So without further ado, it's time to introduce our guest. Our guest is the AVP and Executive Director of Undergraduate Admission at Georgia Tech, where he has served for 20 years. Over the last eight years, he's written a regular blog on the college admission experience, demystifying things for parents and students, and bring much needed transparency and levity to promote healthier conversations. He is also the co-author of The Truth About College Admission, which just published its second edition and the co-host of a podcast under the same name. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Rick Clark. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good, sir. Good to see you. It is so good to have you. I know you're quite busy uh, around this time of year and, and with all the things you have going on, but just know from me to you, we appreciate you. We value you. And I know families uh, that are in the college search journey are in a better spot because of the work that you contribute on a regular basis. I appreciate that, man. Absolutely. And the same to you, sir. Always enjoy getting the opportunity to learn from you and and just uh, catch up. Well, we've got a, a little bit of time on our hands to catch up right now. <laughs> and for our guest, you know, Rick and I had a chance to connect ahead of time to think about key narratives or experiences that he would like to share with you all today that has continued to shape the the amazing leader that he is, not only professionally, but also at home with his household and with his peers. And so without further ado, we're going to dive right in. Uh, and so our, our first leadership moment that we want to talk about today is under the theme, multiple mediums for communication. So I want to turn the keys over to you, walk us through that experience and how that shaped your leadership. Absolutely. Being a parent, of course, teaches us every day uh, many lessons about communication and whether that be listening or asking good questions. And I think in the work that we do, we can translate that, um, you know, with our with our staff and with our teams and, you know, obviously with uh, families as well. Uh, my my daughter in particular, but both of my kids, you know, as, as they've gone through elementary school, you know, it's just kind of become clear that uh, that they were reading a little bit differently and, and processing information differently. And so we got to the point where we needed to, you know, go and get more of a professional evaluation done, you know, particularly for our daughter and understand just how her mind works, um, how she processes information and, you know, why is it so challenging uh, for her to read? Um, and why is it so challenging sometimes for her to maybe understand a concept, but to bring that into practice, let's say on a math problem. So, you know, in talking to the doctors and to reading this report, you know, one of the things that was just so clear is this is not about intelligence, right? This is not about um, whether or not she is quote smart um, or motivated or interested in doing well. Um, it is more so that her brain just fundamentally works differently than either many people's or than the way that the public school system is set up to teach and to deliver information. And, you know, this is an extensive report that we got back. Um, and in reading that, 
you know, a lot of things resonated with me, not only about what I had observed with her, but in really thinking about how I need to facilitate her success and how I need to think about, um, you know, communicating with her. Well, I mean, the next day at work, <laughs> literally after like talking through this with my wife and going through this with the doctors, we, it was a Zoom call one night. You know, I stayed up thinking about it, really focused solely on her. And then I got in the next day and we had a staff meeting. You know, I'm talking through the things that are important at that time and delivering uh, information and trying to explain why things are important. You know, we walk out of there and I, in my opinion, you know, pretty good meeting, right? And then I start thinking, I've got a team of 35 and, you know, we got another 65 seasonal people. We've got over 100 students. And when we're delivering information to them, there's got to be with that volume of people, there's got to be people like my daughter on our staff who, when I say things, um, you know, they may not be so much of an auditory learner. Now, what am I doing to support them getting the important information that we've taken our time to meet about that I've prepared to deliver uh, that's clearly important and that I'm trying to, you know, articulate and express to them? Are they really getting that? And, you know, it, it has changed so much of how I think about the way that we communicate what's important and what's happening and why, you know, um, we, we want you to kind of understand that. Little things, of course, like now we do a, a weekly newsletter, right, where we gather information from all of our different teams and leaders and we compile that. And by Tuesday afternoon, you know, there's a there's a weekly newsletter. You know, this is good for people who may not be auditory learners. It's good for people who may be traveling, uh, but it's putting some of the same information into a different medium in a different format. Right. You know, I talk a lot about this concept of uh, celebrating your wins and how important that is. And, you know, we say it and we've put that into blogs and we've and we've put that into newsletters for counselors and students. But now we have on the you know walls uh, along our office wins and it's just three, three big post-its that when they fill up, we change them out. Celebrate your wins on three different things, because, you know, you might hear us say it and, you know, it might be kind of out there in different mediums, but to see it visually. Right is going to change the way you process it. It's going to reinforce maybe what you would have already heard once or seen once, but it's like in front of you every day. It's, it's tactile, actually, because you get to get a marker and write it down. I mean, these are the things that were in my daughter's report, but it was like, I'm trying to bring that now into my you know work sphere so that I can say, how, how do different people process different information? And if it's really important, so important that we take our time and I take my time to deliver it, I've got to do that in a way that's really going to you know, permeate every single person. And um, I don't think we have it perfect. It, it is a work in progress, but we've tried to be really intentional about these things and and try to think through how can we reiterate, reinforce, and, um, you know, express things, you know, in a variety of ways. Rick, thank you so much. There was so much there uh, for me as a, as a learner and a practitioner that wants to continue to improve as a leader in the workplace, but also at home with my own children. There were so many things that you shared there that I just want to kind of pull through as nuggets for the audience. Not that they that they miss it the first time, but I just want to put an extra stamp of of support and approval. You know, the one thing that stood out to me was was it's not this notion that it's that people lack motivation uh, or that they lack work ethic. It's just that they may be processing things in a different way. Uh, and that could be not only in terms of, of delivery, but also in how much time it takes them to process information. And so yeah. that stood out to me uh, significantly. The, the second one was thinking of our roles as facilitators of success. You use that language and it just stood out to me when you said it, because it's it's less about us as individuals, but more about the people that that are in our care. 
and how we want to set them up for success and how thoughtful communication can be a, a vessel to mm. to support that. And the other piece that I that I wrote down, and this kind of was even through the last point about the celebration of victories and from a blog to the newsletter and through the signage, is the value of consistency and the value of repetition. Um, yeah. I think sometimes that the adverse reaction is that they may see the leadership being redundant hmm. while others may see it as helpful because we're just trying to approach a different way to make sure that however you learn, however you grasp information, whatever can put you in a, an empowered position to move the initiative or to move yourself forward, we want to make sure that that we're doing that and we're doing it in a thoughtful and a timely and a consistent way. And, you know, the last thing that you, I want to highlight that you you referenced and I get a sense from you that you put a lot of time into this and, and likely the folks that you're around is you talked about preparation. And I think sometimes that can be missed, whether it's next week's meeting, it's next week's town hall, it's um, the meeting with a family uh, that has uh, an adverse reaction to their admission decision. Um, there's a lot of preparation that also goes into this work to make sure that we are thoughtful in the ways in which we communicate. So I just wanted mm -hmm. to lift you up and thank you for that. Yeah, man. Well, have you know absolutely and it, it's always good to hear it reflected back and and one other thing i guess i missed from the report that elizabeth had and how I've, how we've translated that out is is what you said about time you know one of her accommodations is she needs extra time right it, it doesn't mean she can't do it it just means that she's going to need a little more time and you know of course i really would argue that's our most valuable commodity anyway right more than money and more than other you know all these other things i mean time is just so precious and one thing we have done and, and that did evolve out of this is for our staff, we hold and it's it's literally held on the calendar uh, in different times of year, different cycles. It, it varies, but either 12 to 430 or 2 to 430 on Fridays, where it's just a held time blocked out, you know, no internal emails, no internal meetings. Um, and, you know, you can use that how you will. And for some people they're already quote caught up, you know, they're just, they're just kill it with sort of efficiency. Maybe they use that time to read something or to listen to something. But for, for other people, when we talk about mental health and we talk about, you know, caring for our staff, which you just said about being in our care, you know, maybe the way to help them really have a weekend is to let them take care of like, you know, cross some T's and dot some I's before they walk out of the, you know, of the office on Friday, or if they're working remotely, when they really kind of check out and move into their home life. I mean, that's a gift, you know, and, and we all need that time in different ways. But again, the visual is one thing to say, which we used to do, right? We used to say it. Now we hold it on their calendar. It is blocked out. You cannot do these things during this time. It is your time to, to you know, do it as, uh, with it as you will. But that is another big piece. Thank you. That's that's quite a way to, to kind of wrap up um, our, our first story, our first leadership moment um, with something that is so critical in terms of time. And my takeaway in the same way in which the doctor's report was helping you understand, you know, hey, my daughter can do this. Our daughter can do this. It just it just made me more time for activity, more time for preparation, more time for understanding. And I think that's a reflection of our, our teams that we work with or even us as leaders. Sometimes sometimes it's, it's not that we're not capable or that the members that are in our care aren't capable. Sometimes they just need more time to process, yeah. to prepare, to engage and to deliver. So. So we're going to transition to our, our next story and good luck with this story uh, being <laughs> as awesome as the first one in relationship to multiple mediums of communication. But the second leadership moment we want to talk about is under the auspice of delegation. So again, Rick, I'm going to turn the keys over to you. Walk us through this story and how it shaped your leadership. This is another one that, you know, I kind of picked up from life beyond work, I guess. My wife and I helped plant a church uh, back in 2003. 
And, you know, there was a a church planter, a founding pastor of that church. And we've been really involved in it over the years. And finally, it came time for the founding pastor to to move on. So, you know, as pastors would say, take a different call, right? Um, And so he, he took a different call. I was asked to chair the search for a new pastor. This happened when we were also publishing the first book, uh, when my wife was, you know, experiencing some some health issues, uh, when, of course, you know, things were ramping up in our cycle. All of this was happening sort of at the same time. You know, during that, I was assigned. I did not get to pick. I was assigned a team to to be part of what they call the pastor nominating committee, right within within our denomination. And so we we sit down and start working on this. And and from the get go. I kind of knew, like, I've got no experience doing this. This is I've never done this before. Uh, I know what we're trying to achieve to an extent, but I definitely don't know the the exact roadmap, you know, to success here and to to finding a, another pastor. And as as the time went on, you know, what was what was so clear is that these complementary skills, complementary backgrounds of the various people on this team were the right recipe for success. And the more I backed away and allowed them to really lean into what they love. One guy, I mean, he would just go through every single document, you know, and just such a researcher. I mean, he was just like in the minutia of whether it be the book of church order or of somebody's, I mean, he read guys uh, full, you know, doctoral thesis when we were going through this search. I mean, he was a detailed person, you know, we had somebody else who, um, I mean, she just loved, and we got to the point of like uh, having people in their families come to visit to see if it was the right fit. I mean, she loved the details of hosting and setting up their time and and doing the little things that were going to make for a perfect, you know, experience and visit, you know? And I shepherded to use, I guess, again, sort of like biblical or (laughs) Christian language there. I feel like I shepherded the process, but I was not involved in everything. And ultimately, you know, by all means and measures, I would say it was an incredibly successful outcome in that we now have a pastor who has, you know, picked up where we were and and really carried us, I think, into a new chapter of this church. And I guess what it really taught me was at work, a lot of times I feel like I do know what I'm doing. And because of my evolution through admission, especially, I've done almost everything. And so I know a little bit about pretty much every role on on our staff. But after that experience, which now has been a number of years ago, it really helped me step away more and to say, you know, maybe I do know a little bit about these things, but we have got experts in the room. We have got people who are just fundamentally better at this than I am, even if I do know a little bit about it. And if I can take that same approach of I'm the one with the vision, I know where this is going. I have a sense of what it needs to do to tie all of these skills together and and bring us to an ultimate result. But I, I am going to get in the way if I try to be involved in everything. And I wouldn't say, and I don't think anybody would really call me a micromanager before that, but I do think there's been a noticeable difference since that about my ability to be available to people, but not necessarily have to be involved in every single thing. And I do think there's a big difference there. And that experience really taught me a lot. You know, some of the things that stood out in what you just reflected on is sometimes as leaders, um, or sometimes when we are working under the guidance and direction of leaders, we don't always understand the context of their life and the other things that they're navigating. And so mm-hmm. in this moment, in this season of your life where you were asked to chair this pastoral search, you had things going on with what I would deem your queen and navigating some health pieces there. You've got the the the, the book. Uh, you've got the 
traditional thing that comes with our work in the higher ed and college admissions landscape. Um, and so the, the context was key. And, and so I always think about the opportunities when it makes sense to make sure as a leader that I'm giving context to people surrounding decisions, surrounding ideas, surrounding themes and surrounding mm. kind of vision. Um, the other piece that I highlighted, and you spoke to this really well, and I wanted to lift you up again, is this notion of the value of complementary skill sets um, under this auspice of team, right? And so, you know, this notion of understanding, even if you have some awareness of it, as you reference, the understanding of stepping back so others can step forward with their strengths, their experiences, and their expectations, and also understanding, maybe going back to um, the first story where we use the language of being a facilitator of success, you said yeah. it here, so it resonates more where you're like, I can still be a part of the journey, but at all aspects, I don't have to be the the primary leader in every aspect of the work. I can still be the facilitator. I can still cast the vision and be the visionary and be of support, but I've got some amazing people that I can tap into. And so that really just just stood out to me. And I'm sure that your your team was able to just assess that. And, you know, I'm curious for you, and so I want to pose this question on this, you know, as you have shifted from this experience and, and started thinking about and approaching leadership in this way a little bit different, what happens when you start leading people for the first time? Like you're, you're building, you got a vacancy, amazing people transition to, to their next calling and then somebody mm -hmm. else transitions in. You know, how do you navigate that nuance of helping them understand how you lead and that things don't have to be Rick's way, but they do mm -hmm. need to be tied to the vision? Yeah. I mean, I, I try to say this and meet, you know, within the first week of everybody's starting, you know, um, and just say what we expect from you. And we do have a document, actually, which back to the whole idea of multiple mediums, we literally have framed and put in every single office of the expectations we have of our staff, you know, how they're going to treat each other, how they're going to serve, you know, our constituents um, and, and expectations they should have in themselves as well. But, you know, one of the big things that I, I talk to them about is, you know, what I expect from you is that you will be bold with your ideas. We we hired you for a reason. You, you were the most qualified person uh, that we had, and we want you here. But you're going to do no good to us, you know, in terms of moving us forward if you don't bring with confidence, you know, your ideas. And we want to hear those. And and I had this exact conversation two weeks ago. We hired somebody to run our social media uh, and all of our digital media stuff. And it's like, listen you know more about this, you're better at this than anyone else on the staff. And we need you to embrace that, right? Um, and I think trying to empower, and, and that's not somebody who has direct reports, and that's not somebody who's sitting at the leadership table team, but you know, that's uh, they, they need to hear that. And, and that is the um, mentality, I think, that we want to ensure that everybody on the team has is these people are in place for a reason. They are phenomenally talented, and their best is when they're bringing us uh, ideas. I'll caps on that just to say hashtag be bold. I, I really like yeah. that. And uh, I'm glad that that is something that not only is communicated to new hires in their very first week in the onboarding process, but also that it is, so to speak, plastered everywhere. Like mm -hmm. everybody should have a clear sense of, of our expectations and the way in which we want to navigate culturally. So I, I value that tremendously. So we're going to pivot audience and we're going to pivot to, to number three. Uh, and so as we pivot to number three, this is what I would deem the theme of moving from just being available and accessible to what we would deem proactive engagement. So again, Rick, I'm going to toss the keys over to you. Tell us a story, man. 
one we've got we all have lots of different uh backgrounds and experiences but one thing we all share in common if you're listening to this is we all we all went through covid you know <laughs> and covid changed a lot of how we view the world and how we uh you know prioritize and you know just our approach in general for me you know i'd always been and talk about like onboarding people and and trying to set up uh expectations and communicate you know what do we want from you and one of the things that I had always said was, hey, I have an open door policy. Like, you know, that idea of bringing me your ideas means my door is open. I want to hear it. You know, I, I'm available to you. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, I'm pushing 50. Um, I mean, my title can sound a little intimidating, you know. And is that really realistic? Is that fair to a, you know, a, a new grad out of college or somebody who's in their, you know, mid-20s who has two layers of of reporting that gets to me, right? Is that fair to them to say, I have an open door policy? Who's really going to take advantage of that, you know? And, and COVID, I think, really broke that for me because when that hit, there's no more open door. There, there is no door. We're all at home and we're all on Teams or Zoom or, you know, whatever it might be. And it made it really clear that if I really want people's ideas, if I really want them to know who I am, what I want from them, that I believe in them, that I care about them, both as a person, as a professional, I have to go to them. I have to be more proactive. And so, you know, during COVID, that looked like, I mean, we had a list of people's favorite drinks and you know, candies and, you know, other things and gift cards and stuff. And we were hand delivering to people's houses periodically different things. We were splitting up on our leadership team, handwritten notes to different people. You know, we need to be available. And we were trying to be really intentional about doing that for people that don't report to us, building bridges uh, to people who we wouldn't naturally interact with otherwise. And as we've come back, you know, uh, from COVID, the way that has translated is now my assistant puts two either coffees or walks on my calendar every month with, with non-direct reports, you know, and basically, well, you know, we go for a walk or we sit down for coffee and I ask them about their family. I ask them about what's happening with the things that they're, you know, trying to achieve in the, in the near term and in the, in the long term. I'm asking them, what are some of the things that are stressing them out? What are some of the things they're enjoying? You know, how can I help them? What, what do they need from me? whether it be connecting them with people or writing letters of recommendation or, you know, who do they not know on campus that they'd want to, you know, maybe have an opportunity to come to a meeting with. That way, I think by really paving the street, if you will, you know, it becomes, it can become two way, right? Because now I'm the one who's coming to them and it's a lot more likely now that they're going to be more comfortable coming to me as well. And that is in fact, you know, I think how it's played out. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think you phrased it really well from our prior conversation. It is a shift, right, from open door policy, being available, uh, being accessible to being proactive and trying to truly engage. It's different. It is. Uh, the thing that I, I wrote down, the two pieces, it was the reference to bridge building. And it was the other reference that I think at times can be perceived as simple, Rick, but it was you just simply said, go to them. And so it flips the script and it puts the weight on us as leaders and our positions versus the broader spectrum of the team to say, instead of me telling you I have this open door policy that you may never feel empowered and, and encouraged to actually walk through, given yep. maybe the layers between your day-to-day -day and my day-to-day, -day, I'm going to make myself available thoughtfully uh, and periodically to just engage. Um, mm. And what I also took from that is, is not only is it an engagement that isn't just about the work, but it's yeah. also less about how 
how can your work help me as a leader? But how mm. can I, as a leader, serve you? And so when mm. you think about that office of servant leadership, it really, it really stands out. And it again, if I go back to the last story um, and that end, it's it's also a bold move. Uh, so I, I value that. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I, I don't remember which book this was in or where this sort of mantra came from, but this concept of manage by walking around, I've never really loved that. That doesn't resonate with me as a leader because it sounds like, I don't know, maybe not the way it was intended, but I feel like it's more like manage by walking together, you know, um, walking around, walk, you know, that sounds like I'm, 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 I don't trust you. I'm, I'm checking in. Right. I think there's a different way to check in on people and, and it's walking together instead of me walking around. I, I just feel like that concept, you know, is, uh, is one that I really believe in, you know, whether it be sitting down having a cup of coffee, having a meal together, walking together. I mean, it's, it's a shared natural reciprocation. Right. And, and that's, that's what a relationship should be. Yeah, I concur. And, and what I wrote down as a as a takeaway for me to reflect on is whether it's walking around as a leader, walking together as a leader, I wrote the notion of of question mark walking my strength. Right. And mm. and so what I mean by that is is that may never be my strength in terms of the walking around and checking checking things out. Um, but how can I utilize what I am strong at to still make myself proactively engaged with the people that I care about in a way that demonstrates to them that I care, but also on the way that they receive that they know it's authentically me. Yeah. So I I just really appreciate that. All right. So for our audience, listen, we've had the opportunity to talk about some amazing stories and the ways in which they've shaped leadership. So we've talked about the value of multiple mediums of communication. We've talked about what I would deem the art of delegation, um, but also being a facilitator of the success of the whole. And then we also talked about kind of this movement away from just being available and accessible to being proactively engaged with our people. And so, you know, we are so thankful, Rick, for you to, to hit on these moments. And, you know, as we get ready to transition to a close, you know, one of the things I like to ask within this uh, season is, is if you had one thing, one parting word for our audience, you know, what what would that be? I think that it goes back to multiple mediums and this idea of visualizing the things that really matter to you. Um, in my in my office, I've got uh, a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, uh, which is you know from uh, the Man in the Arena. And I remember actually uh, running actually in D.C. out to Roosevelt Island and seeing those big pillars, and it's it's, it's actually engraved into that as well, which is a, a powerful place to go if, if you've never been. But it basically just talks about critics, right? And um, you know, that there's always going to be critics and and they're the ones that are sort of ultimately on the sidelines. But for those of us who are making decisions, those of us who are leading, who those of us who have multiple constituencies, I mean, criticism and uh, disagreement, I mean, that's just reality. You know, I think that this idea of trying to seek consensus is a fool's errand. Um, and typically that's not going to be the best path forward anyway. And so I think what I try to talk to, you know, leaders about and and what I think a lot about and remind myself of, which is why it's literally in front of me every day, is ultimately not going to be perfect. um, But we are doing the work um, and we are making tough decisions. And if we know we're doing that with integrity, if we know that we're, you know, doing that for the mission of our institution, um, then we can have peace, you know, that we can have solace in in knowing that. And in many ways the criticism is um only a reminder that what we do matters and that people care about it. Sometimes, you know, there's value in in taking heed and, and listening, but expecting that to just never exist is a pipe dream. 
And I think that that's really important. So if people haven't read The Man in the Arena, I would encourage it. But, you know, I, I appreciate that because, and honestly, for me, I think I wasn't uh, mentally prepared to navigate the criticism until after the pandemic started when I transitioned into the role that I'm in now as a, as a vice president for enrollment. Mm. And I think simultaneously, I also became comfortable with myself and my approach and the approach culturally that I wanted to build within the team that I was blessed to inherit and, and walk with, uh, if I yeah. was using your language. And so not only am I thinking about the the critics that will be there, the naysayers that will be there, uh, to your reference, there will be disagreement. We will always reach a census. And the piece that I thought through, which aligns with your um, piece on mission, is always be grounded in our why. Always Absolutely. keep the North Star of our vision and direction in our sight. And always make sure that we're tied and tapped into mission and values. And that mission and values could be organizational, but it also could be very personal, right? Mm -hmm. um, am I making a decision that is in alignment with who I am, how to see, how I see the world and ethically what I feel like makes sense. Um, and I often talk to my team about informed decision-making. Uh, I've kind of moved away um, from always saying data informed, though mm -hmm. oftentimes it is, but it's trying to be as holistic as possible while being mindful that sometimes as leaders, we can't have a hundred percent of the information before we make a decision. But what That's we right. can do is have our why in place. We can have our mission and values in place. We can have the vision and the direction we're headed in in place and get to a point where we feel as comfortable as we can oftentimes being in those seats to make the decision mm. to make informed ones. Um, and then the last piece I would say is I think the piece of the comfort level with the criticism for me also Rick, came with the notion of as leaders, we don't have to be perfect. Uh, we're not going to get everything right. And as much as being successful as a leader brings value, I think there's also value in showing the people that we're responsible for having in our care how we react to mistakes, how we react to yeah. losses, how we react to um, decisions that, you know, if we would have had additional information, we may have altered our thinking and pivoted a little bit. But mm -hmm. I also think there's so much that our teams and us can learn from those moments as well. Yeah, man. Um, you know, Georgia Tech's motto is progress and service. And we use that in a lot of different things. And um, in my office, I have something that says progress and in parentheses, it says not perfection and service. You know, progress is, is, is we're heading in the right direction. Progress is we're learning. Progress is, you know, we are heading a place and there's, there's, and we're serving people by bringing people to a better place. You know, again, this expectation of perfection or, you know, that's just going to paralyze you you know, and, and the striving. I mean, that's what it talks about in Man in the Arena, striving. You know, we're striving for progress. We're striving for better. We're, we're serving people by bringing them to that better place. So I think, you know, you're, you're spot on in that. Well, I think that's an amazing note for us to end on, Rick. You know, again, thank you for your time and blessing our audience today with these amazing stories, but also how it's shaped you as a leader over time and also the people that it's impacting. Um, I also want to make sure I'm, I'm lifting you up and celebrating you for your willingness to also talk about what it means to be a parent, um, what it means to be able to lead at home um, and to support um, and add value and contribute to the journeys of your children um, and the parallels that, that may show up in there between being a parent and being a leader uh, in the workspace. So, you know, we thank you. We appreciate you. Um, we look forward to, to all the success that, that will come with the second book, but also uh, lifting your team up uh, as you navigate a, another competitive season of college admission. Absolutely. A privilege, sir. Thank you. So to our guests, as you transition to work or home from work, as you head into lunch or transitioning between meetings, as you transition into professional development time you have for yourself each day or each week, 
or as you transition between the work and the time you have for yourself and your loved ones, let's reflect on and consider incorporating what we've learned through these extraordinary impactful leadership moments into our lives. Thanks for tuning in to the Hughes of Leadership podcast. And remember to ask yourself, what Hughes will I use today and which will I seek to further develop? Thank you.